Chapter Seven, Part One of Throckmorton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Throckmorton by Molly Elliot Sewell. Chapter Seven, Part One. The autumn crept on freak had gone to wareham to judith's delight but she found that she had rejoiced too soon for he was at barn elms nearly every day the still silent enmity between judith and himself showed itself on her part by a certain fine scorn an almost imperceptible raising of her narrow brows that was infuriating to freak still he could not shake her self-possession she even listened to his talk and to his captivating violin playing with a cool and critical pleasure when as often happened his step was heard in the hall at twilight and he would walk into the drawing-room or the dining-room as if barn elms were his home with his violin in his hand for he kept one at barn elms and seating himself would begin to play in his masterly way judith would listen as closely as jacqueline but the spell was merely the spell of the music she could listen to the celestial thrilling of the strings the soft lamenting without in the slightest degree succumbing to the player not even when freak playing a wandering accompaniment like another air from the one he was singing would sing some of hen's sea songs in which she could almost hear the sound of the wind as it rose and wailed and died upon the waves when the music stopped and freak would look at her piercingly she was no more moved by it emotionally than general temple was who pronounced it uncommon fine fiddling by george some of the tunes haven't got much tune though this unbroken resistance on judith's part piqued freak immeasurably but quite naturally as it often is with men of his temperament as he could not please her he determined to spite her and he did it by a silent furtive courtship of jacqueline of this neither general nor mrs temple suspected anything in one sense the girl had suffered from neglect beverley had been the favorite of both parents he had been the conventional good son the comfort of his parents hearts while jacqueline was more or less of a puzzle to both of them in vain mrs temple tried to interest her in household affairs jacqueline would have none of them she shocked and mystified her mother by saying that she hated barn elms it was so old and shabby and there were not enough carpets and curtains in the house and the haircloth furniture in the drawing-room made her ill mrs temple who excelled in all sweet feminine virtues who would have loved and bettered any home given her thought this sort of thing on jacqueline's part very depraved the mother and the daughter did not understand each other and could not judith's superior intelligence here came in jacqueline loved her and while she obeyed her mother from sheer force of will on mrs temple's part she rebelled against being influenced by her judith on the contrary without a particle of authority over jacqueline could do anything she wished with her mrs temple could only command and be obeyed in outward things but judith ruled jacqueline's inner soul more than anybody else the county people outside of the seven neighborhood still held perfectly aloof from throckmorton this angered him somewhat although as a matter of fact 
the people who did recognize him supplied him with all the company he wanted for throckmorton was always enough for himself and depended upon no man and no woman for his content he had bought millenbeck and come there for a year and a year he would stay no matter what the carters and the carringtons and the randolphs thought about it then he really had enough of company and all the books and cigars he wanted and plenty of the finest shooting although he never killed a robin after that absurd promise he made to jacqueline but he never saw one without giving a thought to her and a grim smile at himself and so the quiet autumn slipped away throckmorton felt every day the charm of exquisite repose in his life he had known a good deal of excitement the four years of the war he had been in active service all the time and this return to quiet and a sort of refined primitiveness pleased him he was charmed with the simplicity of the people at barn elms the simplicity of genuine country people whose outlook is upon nature he had often heard that country people never were really sophisticated and he began to believe it even in the stirrings of his own heart toward the place of his boyhood after the lapse of so many busy and exciting years he recognized the spell that nature lays softly upon those whose young eyes have seen nothing but her throckmorton in spite of a certain firmness that was almost hardness was at heart a sentimentalist he found content pleasure and interest in this lazy dreamy life of happiness he had discovered that except during that early married life of his he had none for he was too wise to confound peace and happiness at forty-four when his dark hair had turned quite gray he acknowledged to himself that nothing deserved the name of happiness but love but all these dreams and fancies he kept to himself and revolved chiefly in his mind when he was tramping along the country roads with a gun over his shoulder or stretched before a blazing wood fire in the library at millenbeck smoking strong cigars by the dozen he managed to keep his sentimentalism well out of sight not because he was ashamed of it but because he respected it freak was a positive acquisition to him throckmorton had that sort of broad masculine tolerance that can find excuses for everything a man may do except cheating at cards freak came constantly to millenbeck much oftener than throckmorton went to wareham millenbeck though was a pleasant place to visit Throckmorton had left the restoration and fitting up of the place to people who understood their business well and Consequently when he arrived he found he had one of the most comfortable if not luxurious country houses that could be imagined His fortune which at the north would have been nothing more than a handsome competence was a superb patrimony in the ruined Virginia and With ready money and Sweeney anybody could be comfortable Throckmorton thought the Reverend Edmund Morford also gave him much of his Morford's company and obtained a vast number of household receipts and learned many contrivances for domestic comfort from Sweeney Be jabbers the parson's more of an old woman than myself Sweeney would remark to his colored coadjutors He can make a good white gravy as any she cooking going and counts his sheets and towels every week as regular as the mother of him did I warrant which was quite true but the parson's good heart outweighed his innocent conceit and his effeminate beauty with throckmorton 
Morford tried conscientiously to get Throckmorton into the church, but with ill success. Sink the parson, Morford, Throckmorton would laugh. Perhaps I'll get married some day, and my wife will pray me into heaven, like most of the men who get there, I suspect. Nevertheless, Throckmorton had a reverent soul, and although he would have turned pale and have been constrained by an iron silence, had he got up and tried to open his mouth on the subject of the inscrutable problems that Morford attacked with such glib self-sufficiency, he revered religion and did not scoff even at the callowest form of it. Both Jack and himself got to going over to Barn Elms often. Throckmorton, however, being an old bird, exercised considerable wariness so as not to collide with Jack at these times. Jack kept up a continual fire from ambush at his father, regarding which of the young women at Barn Elms the Major would eventually capitulate to. But Throckmorton treated this with the dignified silence that was the only weapon against Jack's sly rallying. As for General Temple, he regarded all of Throckmorton's visits as particularly directed toward himself for the purpose of acquiring military knowledge, and Throckmorton heard more of the theory of war from General Temple at this time than he had ever heard in all his life before. While the general, who had all campaigns, modern and ancient, at his finger-ends, declaimed with sonorous confidence on the mistakes of Hannibal, Caesar, Scipio, and other well-known military characters, Throckmorton listened meekly, seldom venturing an observation. General Temple indicated a faint surprise that Throckmorton, during his career, had never undergone any of the thrilling adventures which had actually happened to General Temple, who would have been a great soldier after the pattern of Brian de Bois-Gilbert. Nor could Throckmorton convince him that he, Throckmorton, conceived it his duty to stay with his men, and considered unnecessary seeking of danger as unsoldierlike in the highest degree. Throckmorton, however, did not argue the point. In place of General Temple's innumerable and real hair-breadth escapes, and horses shot under him, Throckmorton could only say that the solitary physical injury he received during the war was a bad, rheumatically arm from sleeping in the wet, and a troublesome attack of measles caught by visiting his men in the hospital. But General Temple knew that Throckmorton had been mentioned half a dozen times in general orders, and had got several brevets, while General Temple had narrowly missed half a dozen courts-martial for being where he didn't belong at a critical time. The fact that he was in imminent personal danger on all these occasions, General Temple considered not only an ample excuse, but quite a feather in his cap. Occasionally, though, during the General's disquisitions, Throckmorton's eye would seek Judith's as she sat under the lamp with a piece of delicate embroidery in her hand, stitching demurely, and something like a smile would pass between them. Judith understood the joke. The mingled softness and archness of her glance was very beautiful to Throckmorton, but it had not the power over him of Jacqueline's coquettish air. Throckmorton was rather vexed at the charm this kittenish young thing cast over him. He had always professed a great aversion to young fools, who invariably turn into old bores. But he could not deny that he was more drawn to sit near Jacqueline in her low chair than to Judith sitting gracefully upright under the lamp. That Jacqueline was not far off from folly, 
he was forced to admit to himself every time he talked with her but the admission brought with it a slight pang then he never lost sight of the disparity in their years and this was painful because of the secret attraction he felt for her sometimes walking home from barn elms across the fields in autumn nights he would find himself comparing the two women and wishing that the older woman possessed for him the subtle charm of the younger one any man might love judith temple she was so sweet so unconscious of her own superiority to the average woman so winning upon one's reason and self-respect and then throckmorton would sigh and stride faster along the path in the wintry darkness suppose suppose he should seriously try to win jacqueline how long would he be happy and what sort of a life would it be for her with that childish restlessness and inability to depend for one moment on herself and throckmorton knew instinctively that although he possessed great power in bending women to his will it was not in him to adapt himself to any woman he might love her indulge her adore her but he could not change his fixed and immutable character one iota it would be a peculiar madness for him to marry any woman who did not possess adaptability to a high degree and this throckmorton had known ever since he had grown hair on his face went only with a certain mental force and breadth in women he had the whole theory mapped out that the more intellectual a man was the less adaptable he was while with women the converse was strikingly true the more intellectual a woman was the more adaptable she was he also knew perfectly well that in women the emotions and the intellect are so inextricably involved that a woman's emotional range was exactly limited by her intellectual range that there is nothing more commonplace in a commonplace woman than her emotions nay more he remembered dr johnson's thundering against female fools sir a man usually marries a fool with the expectation of ruling her but the fool sir invariably rules the man but all this went to pieces when he saw jacqueline she was to him as if a figure of youth had stepped out of a white greek frieze and whenever he realized this charm of hers he sighed to himself profoundly people are never too old or too sensible to commit follies but people of sense and experience suffer the misery of knowing all about their follies when they do commit them to freke who was incomparably the keenest observer in all this little circle the whole thing was a psychic study of great interest he had the art in a singular degree of getting outside of his own emotions and the fact that he had been guilty of the egregious folly of falling in love with judith at first sight made him only keener in studying out the situation he took an abstract pleasure in partly confiding his discoveries to mrs sherrard who was a bold woman and had become an out-and-out -out partisan of his the only one he could count on except jacqueline under the rose it was a subject of active concern why freke ever bought wareham in the beginning and still more so why he should continue to stay there when pressed on the subject by mrs sherrard they were sitting in the comfortable drawing-room at turkey thicket the blazing wood fire making the dull wintry afternoon and the flat monotonous landscape outside more dreary by contrast 
Freke declared that he had settled in the country in order to cultivate the domestic virtues to advantage. Pooh, said Mrs. Sherrard. Freke then hinted at a possibility of his marrying, which, considering his divorced condition, gave Mrs. Sherrard a thrill of horror. He saw in an instant that this divorce question was one upon which Mrs. Sherrard's prejudices, like those of everybody else in the county, were adamantine and not to be trifled with so he dropped the obnoxious subject promptly and wisely the fact is he said standing up with his back to the fire and causing mrs sherrard to notice how excellent was his slight but well-knit figure i've got to live somewhere and why not here i don't know whether i've got anything left of my money or not anything that is that my creditors or my lawyers will let me have in peace but there's excellent shooting on the place and it only cost a song I think I can stay here as long as I can stay anywhere you know I am a sort of civilized Bedouin anyhow and then I own up to a desire to see that little comedy between between Millenbeck and Barn Elms played through it's an amusing little piece mrs. Sherrard pricked up her ears Freke's reputation as a conquering hero had inspired in her the interest it always does in the female breast Was it possible that he shouldn't be making love to either Judith or Jacqueline? I'll tell you what he cried smiling they are the most precious pack of innocents at Barn Elms There's my uncle a high-minded good-natured unterrified old blunderbuss the most unsophisticated of the lot then my aunt who belongs properly to the age of Rowena and Rebecca and Judith Here Freke's countenance changed a little from its laughing carelessness His rather ordinary features were full of a piercing and subtle expression Judith fancies because she has been a wife a mother and a widow that she knows the whole gamut of life When actually she has only struck the first note correctly a little while ago. No, I forget that young one but that's very one-sided although intense she loves the child because he is her own not because he is Beverly's rather in spite of it I fancy mrs. Sherrard in the excitement of the moment for what is more exciting than unexpected and inside discoveries about our neighbors got up too I knew it I knew it she answered her sharp old eyes getting bright I saw Judith when she was a bride and she wasn't in the least rapturous and the next time I saw her she had on that odd widow's cap she wears and that blessed baby in her arms and if ever I saw secret happiness painted on any human countenance it was hers and all the time she was trying to imagine herself broken-hearted for Beverly Temple fudge almost shouted freak it is my belief she'd have traded off six husbands like Beverly for one black-eyed boy like that young one Beverly began mrs. Sherrard delighted yet fluttered by this plain speaking you remember was a big handsome fellow rode like a centaur danced beautifully the best shot in the county as polite as a dancing master or general temple as brave as a lion Oh good God don't talk to me about Beverly temple. He was the most wooden-headed temple I ever knew and that's saying a good deal ma'am Responded freak with energy You are no fool said mrs. Sherrard as if willing to argue the point 
yes but you couldn't any more take me as a type of the temples than you could take edmund morford as a type of the sherrards lord mrs sherrard what an ass your nephew is isn't he though but he is a good soul was mrs sherrard's answer was it judith or was it jacqueline that freke was trying his charms on thought mrs sherrard taking her afternoon nap over the fire after freke left freke however really could not have enlightened her for judith his admiration increased every day her very defiance of him was captivating to him he well knew that she hated every bone in his body and he had made up his mind as a set-off to this to get a description of a certain scene during the war out of throckmorton sometime in her presence it was a species of vivisection but she deserved it deserved it richly for had she not brought it on herself by the way she treated him temple freak and then jacqueline she was certainly a fascinating little object though not half the woman that judith was this freak magnanimously allowed riding briskly along the country road in the wintry twilight the family at barn elms had never yet dined with throckmorton owing to general temple's continued wrestle with the gout that had now made him a prisoner for four long weeks mrs temple who every day got fonder of george as she called throckmorton had promised to dine at millenbeck when the general was able to go but as she invested all their intercourse with millenbeck with the solemnity of a formal reconciliation she delayed until the whole family could go in state and ceremony at last dr wortley having gained a temporary advantage over delilah and brought general temple to observe his dr wortley's regimen instead of delilah's a week or two marked a decided improvement the general's calvinism abated his profanity mended and he became once more the amiable soldier and staunch churchman that he was by nature now mrs temple said throckmorton one evening as he was going away if you will keep the general out of mischief for a day or two longer you will be able to pay me that long promised visit let me know so i can get mrs sherrard and dr wortley and morford and freke but you my dear friend will be the guest of honour mrs temple blushed like a girl with pleasure throckmorton's way of saying this was so whole-souled and affectionate you say right my dear throckmorton remarked general temple putting his arm around mrs temple's waist the tenderest sweetest most obedient wife at which simon peter putting wood on the fire snickered audibly and throckmorton would have laughed outright had he dared so it was fixed that on the following friday evening they were all to dine at millenbeck mrs temple promising to watch the general lest he should relapse into gout and gloom and a promise from mrs temple was a promise she went about a little surprised at the complete way that throckmorton had brought her round here was one yankee whom she loved with a genuine motherly affection and he was a virginia yankee too which she esteemed the very worst kind jacqueline as usual was off her head at the notion of going and judith's suppressed excitement did not escape mrs temple's eyes both of them provincials of provincials as they were felt a true feminine curiosity regarding the reputed splendours of millenbeck which was in fact destined to dazzle their countrified eyes end of chapter 7 part 1